What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Also, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And, of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And, man... (laughs) Are we just honored today? How, how do you how do you top this for all the true dirty rock and roll people out there? Yes, the believers of if it doesn't have the boogie and the swagger and the volume and the power of Motorhead and the I, I don't even I can't even it's there's so many things I could say I'd feel like a preacher. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Tell them who we had today. Yes, we have all the way from Australia, Mr. Angry Anderson of Rose Tattoo is joining us on the Talk Louder podcast today. And I can't believe uh, we're going to spend time in his company today. Uh, What an honor. Uh, It's about what did we do? We did the math and it's it's actually, you know, we're doing this on Sunday evening here in Texas, but it's actually Monday morning in Australia. So I think we just finished dinner and he just finished breakfast. So uh, uh, we had to work out the time zones, but we were able to do that. We want to say uh, thank you to Kat, his, uh, his, his publicist, who's uh, been very patient with us in uh, putting this together. We went back and forth with so many emails trying to get our schedule synced up. So thank you, Kat, for making this happen. Uh, This uh, is my cue for, uh, Thanking, thank you, sir, very much to Sean Ratches from Laughing Monkey Music Laughing Monkey. Show, yes. and uh, thank you, Sean, so much for reaching out to Cat. Uh, and just, I don't know how. Oh, I know what it was. He saw my rose tattoo shirt. Yeah, and he was like, "I've seen your podcast, and you have a rose tattoo shirt sometimes." And I'm like, "Oh my god, yeah, like five. <laughs> and he's like, "And he's like, oh man, let me, I've had angry on a bunch of times." I'm like what yeah and so he was instrumental in getting us in in touch with cat and so we really appreciate it thank you sean from laughing monkey yeah. music show yeah. what a banger this was yeah man holy uh, shit and i will i'll bum you out now this is the only bummer you're gonna have out of it we didn't get to talk about iron bar his character from mad max beyond thunderdome we i didn't, had it I on Dude, I wanted to ask him how he got the gig, if he had, had an audition. That. Were there other people, you know, tatted up, bald, short dudes that are auditioned whose whose names is angry? <laughs> I mean, how many angries can are there in the world? There's one, my friend. Yeah. I There's had one. that on my list of uh, notes. I was going to get to that. But uh, as you'll find out when you talk to Angry, uh, the stories just start unraveling and they go on and they're so amazing that you don't want to switch gears. And uh, there, it was just inevitable that we wouldn't cover everything. So it's it's also this thing where and people will notice that he'll he'll get caught on a memory and he'll want to he'll want to take a left. And he's trying not to because there's so yeah. many things going on that he wants to tell you about. And uh, another great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And he does kind of he does wrap it up and get back, come back around. But it, it and that's usually our cue to like jump in and like say something just as how this podcast crap goes. <laughs> but I'm telling you, uh, it was just such a joy to just hang out with the guy. And that's all we did is just hang out 
with Angry Anderson from Rose Tattoo here on the Talk Louder podcast. Angry, thank you for joining us. What an honor. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. That's a, entirely the most appropriate thing you could have said all day. Um, <laughs> and I uh, meant thank, it. thank you very much. Thank you. I, um, yeah, what time? What time I, is uh, it in Australia? Is it uh, you having breakfast right now? No, I reckon it was a few hours ago. It's uh, quarter past ten a.m. in the morning. Okay, but I've um, uh, only only to explain why it was a bit of a panic at the end because I mean I. Two things, uh, you know, this whole fucking technology thing is just—it's a, a mysterious realm for me. And, tell, um, tell us about it. Oh my god! And um, and uh, it, this is someone who, years and years and years ago, long before they made the movie, which they did um, uh, in the seventies, you know, when we we're all doing acid and stuff, and. I was reading Lord of the Rings, and um, a, a girlfriend, well, girlfriend, she sort of a, a, an itinerant that sort of drifted through my house for a few months and on her way to somewhere. Anyway, she left me with The Hobbit. Oh. And um, she said, you know, Lord of the Rings. Anyway, strangely, talking about feeling uncomfortable in this world, I felt very – while I was reading uh, the books, uh, that, that incredibly fantasy world, um, I felt – um, I suppose spiritually or soulfully, at very comfortable in that world. And because I, you know, when I was younger, I, I read a lot of books about um, fantasy stuff, you know, like a, a Conan. Um, yeah. Um, a, a guy, you know, books like Moorcock and those, those kind of uh, writers. And uh, Conan, of course, uh, the most famous of, of all those series. And but there was other books too. There was um, there was a couple of books uh, written about this Irish, um, um, I suppose, you know, King Arthur type of figure called Bran MacMorn. And um, there was another couple of books uh, uh, with a character called Elric the Stormbringer. And he was an albino and had a, a magic sword that it, what gave him his power was every, one, every time he killed a bad guy, as the sword was slicing off its head or whatever, it drank its, its soul. And that empowered him. Anyway, long story short, here I am telling you I felt comfortable in um, Tolkien's world and I feel very uncomfortable with fucking technology. So that's how fucked up I am. Well, that makes yeah. three of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was trying to, it, I don't it, even it, know if this mic is on. So, yeah. you know, what do I know? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's working the treat. <laughs> when, uh, when out I, of sync. <laughs> that's okay. That's uh, a, I was going to ask you guys some technical questions. And now I think maybe, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask him anyway. But, yeah, um, ask him anyway. <laughs> but um, but you've already acknowledged that you're, you're not you're just as uncomfortable with this from, whole fucking thing that I from am. what from one um, dinosaur to another. Ask to away. another, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm a little bit further down the track than you are. That's okay. Um, 
you know, you know, I just know this is tell you how fucking um, well I haven't just noticed it, but you know, when you when you're looking at face fart and <laughs> it, things are reversed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. things are reversed. And and some of the I've noticed it in my daughter reckons it's because, you know, my phone's about six or seven years old. Because, you know, I was brought up in an area in an era where if it wasn't broke, you don't throw it away. Right. You know, yeah. so I don't prescribe to that whole Apple scam. No. There's a new fucking model every every year. No, right. And um you know, because anyway, because uh, anyway, that's just my point of view. But yeah, um, I noticed that um, you know a lot of things, if not everything, is in reverse. Yes. So you know, a right-handed thing becomes a left-handed thing. Blah blah blah. Right. Sure. That's, but that's a lot a... of the audio these days, they, they sound like chipmunks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, you know, I was watching this thing the other night. Not the Sopranos. It was something else, like um, that kind of, uh, you know, it, it, an it, excerpt from a, a movie or a series, and and they they were like chipmunks. So the audio was sped up. Oh yeah. And I don't know why that happens, and I don't know how to fix it. It's fucking annoying. You know, it really, really pisses me <laughs> off. Anyway, that's not what you called, is it? <laughs> No, but it's a hell no, of an intro. Great. Yeah, we got yeah, a few laughs. Hell of an intro too. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, okay. First off, I'm, I'm a really big fan. Um, oh, thank you. It's, it's okay. You'll grow out of it. Well, may, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm almost sixty. Uh, in high school, I, I, uh, instead of Just learning. Learning important things. Um, I was uh, reading e. rock magazines. I had rock. I, no, my, going back to the, going back to important things. I e like example, please. Um, <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, no, but you were supposed to be learning. Oh, important oh, hi, his, history, history, English, science, history, oh, yeah, right. history. Yeah, I was yeah. in, I was in school. Which, which version? <laughs> <laughs> right. It, Apparently, the winner's version. I was not paying. <laughs> Isn't that how it's written? Absolutely. Yeah. And, I was. Um, go ahead. <laughs> I, I go was. Uh, I, I was. I had uh, rock magazines inside, you know, leafing inside my uh, history. Inside books. your penthouse. Yeah, yeah, no. Other, <laughs> other way around. Playboy in those days. Free penthouse. <laughs> Dave, I didn't know that he was going to be a jokester like this. <laughs> um, but uh, I was reading. I, 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 you know, my, my, my daughter, I, she found this thing on FaceFast. <laughs> and it said, um, hus husband says to his wife, so why did you marry me, sweetheart? And she said, because you're funny. He says, I thought it was because I was great in bed. She said, see, you're hilarious. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Anyway, that's my I, favorite joke at the moment. It's that's my really good. Joke. Good. That's uh, good. Any, anyway, I was uh, I was learning about Rose Tattoo about 80, 1980. Okay. How old were you then? 
Oh shit. Uh, yeah, seven, I'm no good at maths either. Seventeen. Uh, no. Yeah, see, I, that's called child abuse in yeah. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> People go to jail for that kind of thing in this country. For learning about rose tattoo? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a, that's a tender young age. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Was, what, so if you were caught carrying a, 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 a stack of rose tattoo records down the street, you could go to jail for that too. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah um, and and uh, you know, I started buying your records early, and have been a fan a long time. Uh, I've got uh, the Cobras and Flowers logo on my arm, tattooed, along with Good fuck, show me many many of our friends. Yeah, it's right there in the in the medallion. It's it's fantastic. Old. It's old. But so love am I. it. Love, yeah. Thank you. That's just honest. of course. That's but, fantastic. But I would think um, mm. that that you've seen thousands of that. Uh, possibly hundreds. Okay. Um, All right. Um, I, I've uh, w uh, once we started touring again um, yeah. because you know in the early eighties when we toured. Um, uh, uh, you know, everyone had steam-driven phones in those days, and there wasn't there wasn't the technology that um, that uh, so you couldn't take photographs, right? They used no. they there was this sort of like bulky apparatus that it was called a camera, yeah, and um, strange name, but um, yep. uh, anyway, um, uh, since then I've been uh, photographing. Um, uh, you know, we, particularly like uh, obviously in Europe, because we haven't been back to the United States of America since '83, um, and that's yep. that's in the that planning is in the works for us to to come back and do a, a farewell. Because um, we we are, I'm going to wind uh, the band up um, very you know, in the next couple of years. Uh, if, it was planned. It, it, it was planned, but COVID killed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, well, it was yes. COVID did. Oh, the plague responsible for a lot of um, uh, of that sort of you know the tragic tragic events. But um, uh, the other thing too about it, of course, is um, since then, and I'm not sure when this came about because uh, I've got some friends in America who. Um, like I was, I was talking on email um, to uh, a guitar player in in Guns and Roses now, Richard Fortas, and 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 of course um, uh, Slash as well. And you know, we were just chatting. This is going back like six months or eight months. And I said, yeah, okay, we're planning on coming to America. And they were sort of, uh, you know, um, pretty excited about that. And. Um, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that uh, that I alluded to that um, was was in our way was the cost of visas, uh -huh. and um, and of course we, we we didn't think that we were going to get, and we still don't know whether we'll get um, uh, Demarco the drummer, who's back in the band after six years in jail. Um, we did, we still don't know whether uh, he'll get a, a, a visa uh, to enter the country. Mm. Um, uh, we're doing the Monsters of Rock thing next year. And I, he's got. I, I am on that with you. 
Sweet. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll be able to drink beer together yes. um, and chase loose women. Um, Rock and roll style. <laughs> having just turned 75, I still can chase women. I just don't remember why. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's coming back. It's kind of like riding a bicycle, you know. You sort of. I caught one the other day and I thought, oh, this feels good, you know, like I like all these lumpy bits. Um, and um, anyway, she was much younger than I and that's another story. But, uh, yeah, we, so we're doing the Monster Rock now. He got a visa. Mm. Uh, we, 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 we get there. I think we fly straight into Orlando. I'm not sure. Um, and and then we spend a night in a hotel. Um, and because that's kind of like, isn't it, isn't it curious the way they figure this whole visa situation out? Because we're going from the airport into a hotel and then we go from there, we're picked up by um, a shuttle and we're driven to, to the ship and we get on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a visa very easily to do that. But when when we inquired as to, okay, what about touring and being mm-hmm. on the ground, so to speak, yeah. in, in, in yeah. multiplicity, in other words, maybe six or eight different states, they said, well, that's a different visa altogether. So we still don't know whether DeMarco can get in, but mm. the costs uh, involved have um, have really um, nobbled us. Um, they've just made it to the point where it's, unless we can come up with a way of, um, of uh, you know, may, maybe getting a, a like a, a grant, you know, for like an art thing or whatever, yeah, um, yeah that, that, that's going to sort of stand in our way as well. But we're very keen uh, to to come back to to America because um, it, you know it's it's a very special thing when you think about it. Um, we were only there over one year touring. Um, are you talking although, about? Are you talking we, about nineteen eighty three? Aerosmith. Yeah. Air, air with yeah, Aerosmith. Yeah, Aerosmith. Aerosmith. So, uh, you know, we were in very prestigious company. Yeah. So um, uh, that went a long way, I think, to, to helping establish um, the band. But um, having, having toured with both of those um, uh, bands since, um, particularly here, um, and um, it, they assure us that, you know, it, the, the sort of the cult following that we have, they're aware of it because, you know, that they live there and, um, uh, you know, they pass information around, you know, bands and, um, yeah, so they, they said, no, no, uh, Rose Tattoo, we've always had a, a very, very strong and loyal, steadfast um, following because uh, they've waited all this time and so there's no... There's no way I want to let uh, that sort of loyalty, uh, you know, down or not appreciate it for it. So even even if it costs us an arm and a leg uh, to come back just that one more time to say thank you, yeah, and also sayonara, you know, sure, we're signing off. Um, we, yeah, we, we will definitely do that. But um, with Scotty Crawford, who's our our new manager, and he's been managing us for a few years now. 
Um, and he's largely responsible for resurrecting the band mm. back onto, you know, the international circuit, so to speak. Um, uh, I, I got him as a manager earlier on uh, to, I wanted to form my own band, which is more of a, uh, sort of uh, based on Rod Stewart and the Faces era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, white guys singing sort of like Tamla Motown, like just just the way Roddy did. And that was, that's always been a dream because my favourite my favorite rock and roll band of all time is uh, the fa- Roddy Stewart and the Faces. Yeah, um, we love that stuff. Oh, just extraordinary yeah. music. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I love the Stones and I, I love Zeppelin and I love all those classic rock and roll or rock bands. Yeah. Um, not not all rock or rock and roll is rock and roll. Uh, you know, it has to swing, uh, as, as you know. I yeah. mean, you know, the, the people who established rock and roll, you know, the Eddie, Eddie Cochran's and the, the Gene Vincent's and Little Richard and Jerry yes. Lee, you know, unless it unless it shuffles, unless it swings, you know, it's not rock and roll. It, it right. might be rock. But, it's got, yeah, but, it's going to uh, have the role. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. And well, um, uh, it's funny, you know, like sometimes when you know, like you're playing a, a small club and there's like you know maybe only six or eight hundred people there, you, you can you can establish a, a level of intimacy. Um, which it you know, doesn't happen in, in the bigger clubs or indeed in the festivals. Right. Besides, in festivals, no one wants to be bored to death with with information. But I, you know, I explain um, often that rock and roll is a um, a, a sexual term. It's a it's a it's about um, you know the rocking and the rolling, which is um, you know a way of disguising you know. Fucking and yeah. um, yeah. it's true. And, uh, yeah, well, you yeah. know, it's, that's that's the basis of um, of uh, the blues language, if you like. Um, uh, you know, where they had to tidy stuff up for people, <laughs> like like um, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, it, it has to have uh, most definitely. It has to have the uh, and and that's the great thing. You know, talking about the Stones and. Um, uh, to, to, to the great rock and roll bands, that, is that they all, they've got that swagger. They've got yeah. the swing. Yeah. Well, that's what the tats have for sure. And the, um, you know, just the, the whole pub rock and you guys have, yeah. bo- you guys have boogie. It's like if, uh, you know, the Stones and Motorhead and Little Richard had a little baby and turned it on 10 and went on tour (laughs) and you know and and, you know i i like the idea that you are uh loyal to the loyal and that you want to keep this thing going and uh, have a chance to shake hands and shake babies too you know yeah the uh the uh i have a few things i'd like to hold up to the camera this is okay this is great this is great. I have a little story. Uh, I uh, there was a right when where I got. Where did you on, get? Where did you get that? I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, all right, okay. Uh, re- real quick, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, no, no, it, you it, take all the time you like. It was a. It was like '95 or '96. Uh, I had just gotten my first computer, and I got online, and I started chatting with this gentleman in Australia. He might have been in Sydney. 
And we start talking about, of course, the obvious rock and roll. He was a fan of mine, and I start asking him about Aussie bands and, and uh, of course, ended up just, like, expressing much love for uh, Rose Tattoo. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm in touch with Angry. I'm like, what? So at the time, I believe you were at a current affair. During oh, the, wow. In the yeah. mid-90s? In the, in the 80s, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, he, he said that he had contacted you through a current affair. And I thought mm -hmm. that he had given the address he had given me was at a current affair. It wasn't your at your house or anything. It wasn't a home address. And I wrote you a letter. The gentleman's name, if I recall, uh, was Cameron Appleby. And like I said, I believe he was in Sydney. And you had this book out that I don't even re recall at that moment. I knew it was out, but I realized mm. it was fairly new at the time, maybe a year old. Mm. And uh, he gave me the address to just go, hey, yeah, just write him a letter, man. He's super nice and chill. And I was like, really? And so I wrote you a, hand, of course, handwritten letter. And you did not write me back. Instead, you autographed and signed to Jason, rock on, best wishes, angry. And this is what I got instead of a return letter. And I appreciate that very much. Not at all. This was a not long time ago. The story's not even done yet. I, the, the, the book that I speak just spake of... I lent I lent it out to a friend of mine because oh you've got to read Angry's book it's so good it's his whole life in your hand and uh, I don't have as many brain cells as I used to no none of us do I, I forgot who I lent it to and I couldn't figure it out and I widespread tried to find out who I lent the book to and I never got it back and I'm so attached I went on eBay and spent too much money for this off eBay. And it was like the only one that was available out there. And uh, it's pretty cool because whoever owned this book has uh, like yellowed out some quotes, you know, there's like some of it's like yellowed, right? Wow. Highlighted yeah, parts, okay. their, their yeah. favorite bits, right? Anyway, it's, this is great. Uh, Cameron Appleby also sent me this. Wow. Oh, wow. It's like wow, true yeah. value hardware uh, yeah. ads from the newspaper. And like every leaflet you turn on has you going, you know, hold, <laughs> holding, up, <laughs> holding up pliers and tools yeah, and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking the great. The things you do for a buck. Right, right, right. <laughs> but but let's talk about, I want to I get to Nitty. Anyway, thank you. Cameron Appleby, thank you, Angry, for just thank being you, Cameron. Yeah. generous with your uh, your your talents and your and your parts of your life to share with fans. Um, I'm working you, on a sequel. Excellent. Uh -huh. You got into helping young people at some point. That, that, that's how that's how I ended up on television. Actually, okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about that, please, please. Uh, do we have the time? I mean, I, I have the time if you do. <laughs> we'll try to make it, you know, just be weary of the clock, you know. Right. Yeah, we're, no, we're all, we're all racing, of, the, racing the clock anyway, so just be weary. It's kind of, it's kind of, that's very deep. Um, um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's one of the, it, you, 
well, you may have already realised this that um, um, that that concept is lost on me when when I'm talking to someone of interest. I, and, I, I um, figure I figured that out. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're very generous. Um, As you say. The, the thing about it is uh, the uh, I'll try to make this brief. Um, when when the when the tats first formed, we used to live in a uh, a very dodgy area called Darlinghurst, which is akin to uh, a very uh, a red light area called King's Cross, and um, uh, it was a lot of nightclubs, a lot of restaurants, um, a lot of uh, criminal activity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, anyway, long story short, I, I met um, a guy whose nickname was Sluggo, and he was a a big formidable weapon um, that used to work the doors. It's two of the clubs and uh, he loved the tats. And uh, as a lot of those hard guys, I believe those, he's, believe he's mentioned in the book too, Slogo. Uh, well, yeah, bingo. Um, so that's the story. I was visiting him and, and he said, when I, when I get out of jail, I want to start a halfway house uh, as a step towards rehabilitation for young offenders. And 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 Rose Tattoo, as you know, um, is 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 a a, a a band lyrically and and stance wise uh, from a male point of view, which was terribly unfashionable then. I mean, imagine how unfashionable it would be today. We wouldn't get off the ground, but. Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, I, I remember Bob Dylan uh, saying, uh, he was reiterating something that uh, Woody Guthrie had already said, because as you know, he was a devotee of, of uh, Woody Guthrie. And he said, um, if, if, you, if you write about your life, if you write about what you see, what you feel, if you, in other words, if you write about real stuff, the songs have a, have a, have a soul you like and, and that's my in my insert into what i think woody guthrie via bob dylan meant um he said if you write about real things and real people there's a good chance your songs last forever now here we are all these years uh, later listening to woody guthrie and of course uh, bob dylan because he's, he's not yet passed on and i think one of my favorite sayings uh, is a Woody Guthrie uh, quote. Um, you know how uh, in you know modern days, you know pe people say it like you know like um, hey, take it easy, man. Well, see that's that comes from a Woody Guthrie uh, quote. That's it, and he, Woody Guthrie's quote was, "Take it easy, but take it." Um, <laughs> yeah, really, eh, yeah. Dave? That's, that's fucking cool, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I and it's kind of like. It's right up there with, um, you know, Marlon Brando's line, you know, hey, Johnny, what do you rebel against? And he says, well, what do you got um, yeah. <laughs> from from Wild One? And um, But anyway, getting back to, um, yeah, so I've, I've tried to always write songs um, that, A, um, a part of my life or, 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 or you know, like, I'm writing about my life, um, uh, you know, like uh, the title track was from Scarred for Life is, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's um, uh, biographical, autobiographical. And, um, uh, yeah, so I, 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 I still think that that rings true uh, in, in every sense and it still does today. And I think 
And I'm not saying, you know, because it's not my place to, to judge other people's music, but I think there's a lot of music that is produced that isn't about personal experience or it isn't about soulful, heartfelt observations of your environment, you know, um, whether it be political. I don't think music should get all that political, but um, uh, Woody Guthrie was quite political, oh, as yeah. was... Bob Dylan or is Bob Dylan. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, you were helping really sure. You were helping kids with cancer. You had well, the a... thing was that um, my songs or my lyrics resonated with, um, going back to Sluggo, with a yeah. lot of young males in jail. Okay. Um, it, it had a similar, when they listened to Rose Tattoo songs, uh, and, um, even to this day, you know, like, I said, that's me, that's my life, you know. And I said, well, you know, that's the reason that we resonate with one another is because we had similar lives or, or, or lead similar lives. Um, in, in, in the physicality, in other words, what happens? I mean, not everybody survives pedophilia, but there's a lot of us that have uh, or do. Um, not everybody has to deal with depression, but there's a lot of us that do and have and do and will. Um for the rest of their lives. So, you know, those things in the book, um, getting back to that, um, uh, the reason I'm, I'm doing now another version is that I'm writing a, um, I'm writing a part of the book, well, I've almost finished it, um, where I examine all the lyrics that I've, I've ever written and, and, uh, and the backstories, the thing that promoted those lyrics are on the other page. But um, the book finishes off where I'm happily married, and of course that didn't survive. But there's a lot of a lot of the um, the detail about my childhood and my growth through music uh, that I think needs to I need to to be able to like express that and get it out because um, uh, it, it's a soul cleaning thing and and it's a soul healing thing. So um, it, what led me to television was. Um, two things. One was Sluggo, but um, we just finished, uh, you know, the two of the band came back here and unfortunately broke up. Um, well, we decided to, you know, as we did from time to time, spend some time apart because it was a very volatile band and always was, except for the recent days. Um, but the, there was a volatility in, within the characters that allowed us to be together for short intense periods of time and and whenever that happened there was an album produced and and um uh but but, but uh, because of the volatility of the the characters involved uh the intensity of what it was kind of like you pressure cooked something for some long and then after a while the lid blew off and then sometime later you had to start again so that's what we always did and um so we came back from America and broke up and I just bet my daughter, who was uh, a couple of weeks old by the time I first met her, the, the eldest of my children. And I realised then, uh, you know, that I was in a mess. I mean, I was drug addicted. I was alcohol dependent. Um, and, you know, I, I was in a pretty fucked up state of mind. Not that I realised it then, because I was living the I was living the rock and roll lifestyle, so couldn't have been happier, you know. 
and uh, and then the van broke up, and I was kind of left. It, it was it was one door opens and another door closes, and and that's the classic sort of philosophic um, view. And um, and I realised because when I met my daughter, I realised I can't continue to be a responsible father, to be a father. I couldn't continue doing what I loved the most, which was self <laughs> rock and roll wrapped up in self-destruction, but, uh, you know, burn bright and leave a good looking corpse. Um, I, I knew I couldn't do that, you know, because he was this perfect human being um, uh, with, with, with no protection, you know, apart from her mother and father. And so I realised that um, as life does, you know, it takes uh, when, not, not when it, it needs, when you need, but you don't always know that. You're not, we're, not, we're not imbued with that sort of depth of intelligence. It's something we learn gradually as we get older. True experience. And uh, pain is the greatest teacher. And so I realised I realize that um, I was destroyed in one sense and resurrected immediately in the other because even though I was losing the great passion, the great love, the motivation, the, my purpose for getting up in the morning, well, in the afternoon, um, um, was it was rock and roll. And um, all of a sudden I, I, I knew that that had to change because I knew I, I had this this duty, this honour, I was honour-bound to this new creation, this person, this is new human being, and, and she deserved, um, and I never did have, so I knew that she deserved to have the best chance, uh, the best mother, the best father that um, she could possibly have. So, yeah, that's what changed it. So around about that time, and I was floundering because I had... I, you know, I could work with my own band at weekends, um, but, you know, there was no more Rose Tattoo. There was no more lifestyle per se because with the tats, it, particularly back in those early days, we, we, it was 24 hours a day. Like most of those rock and roll bands of that era that built greatness out of their, you know, absurdity. Right. Um, they were so... You know, I mean, the Stones later on, Guns N' Roses, but the Skid Rose and and uh, the Motleys, and they, they they were the sort of the second or no third wave because the sure. the first wave of real delinquents was, as we talked about before, was uh, you know Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis. Um, those days, that was the first wave. And then, there, you know, there was that homogenising period, which is integrally important, but, you know, it was like, well, really? Um, where it all became cutesy pie and yeah. uh, formulated yeah. and uh, there was lots of pop hits. And uh, Not that I deride pop. Um, but then all of a sudden there was, um, I think, the next revolution, evolution, revolution was, um, you know, the British... Beijing. I thought, I thought, um, yeah, I thought it was curious. So there's a headline of, that came out of America, the British invasion, mm -hmm. which um, I thought was a clever um, play on history, if you like. But um, also, uh, it, it, it encapsulated the, the real, the impact that the you know the Beatles particularly, um, and then 
they opened the floodgates and the rest of it poured in. And because it was, there must have been like that culturally, um, you know, because um, like I said, you know, there was a lot of bands around and artists in those days that were, and, and uh, you know, I mean, for now you look at the Beatles um, in the in those the, the sort of early to mid-60s and you think, you know, it's very cool. It was a very cool look, but it would have been just as uncool as, as when, the, when the Tats first toured America because, you know, we got things thrown at us. We got booed, you know. There was some. Um, yeah. That's I, remember, a- I, remember, I remember Stephen Tyler said to me, after the first time it happened, he said, I said, fuck, you know, like what's going on? And he said, ah, fuck them. Just tell them to get fucked. <laughs> I don't think, I'm too sure whether he meant me to do that literally, but I took yeah. him literally. <laughs> so the next time we went out on stage and I went boo boo, I said, ah, fuck off, get fucked. <laughs> and I, you know, the audience sort of, oh, what the fuck was that? You yeah. know, like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, well, that's how I got. That's a long-winded explanation of how I got into television, isn't it? Because um, um, I I was working in this seedy area, the King's Cross, uh, with Sluggo, who'd now got out of jail. He was working with street kids to try and young males. I see. To push them, get them jobs and push them in a, in a, uh, a more positive direction. And, um, yeah, uh, 60 Minutes crew came down to do an expose on street kids and all the problem that they were and all the crime that they were responsible for and committing. And, and um, you know, they came down and, and, and they heard, I don't know how, but they heard that Angry Anderson, who was at that stage the number one bad boy of Australian rock and roll, um, described as the single greatest threat to the stability of Australian youth <laughs> by a well-known journalist. Um, <laughs> here he was. Um, so they thought that I was exploiting, I heard later, that they talked about exposing me because they thought I was down there dealing drugs or something. Oh. Whereas I was working with um, Sluggo in a halfway house. I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't there all the time, but I was there right. like every two or three weeks, and we, you know, we would sit around with a, a new, you know, like a, a bunch of young. And he was taking kids out of juvie as well, um, predominantly out of juvie because, um, you know, he, he thought, well, the younger you get them, anyway. That's they they heard about me, and they came down and. Because the kids trusted uh, Sluggo and myself, um, uh, we were able, they were able to get access to the footage, which they never used because it exposed the complicity of crooked cops and exploitation of, of pre-teens and early teens, boys and girls to prostitution, uh, the ugly side of reality, in other words, yeah. um, uh, the, the, the truth, which, of course, we all understand mainstream media doesn't deal in the truth. Now, you know, very, very seldom has in the history of propaganda, but certainly not these days. But, um, yeah, so uh, the producers on, on this television show, which is a, which was in those days from 85, that's when I first started, it was a, a show called Midday Show. 
And it was a what they used to call the Blue Ridge set, you know, the middle-aged, late middle-aged ladies that were at home um, and watched television while they had lunch. And um, so it was all sort of cutie pie sort of content and, um, you know, cooking, you know, someone would come on and show how to bake scones and, um, you, know, what, you know what I mean, like that kind of stuff. And yeah, then Raymar, yeah. who was from 60 Minutes, he was offered to take over the chair and he said, if I can if I can breathe fresh life into midday show and make it more of a, a like an American style magazine show. So they wanted um, colourful people. They wanted people that were, were had a different point of view than their historic, uh, you know, because they were losing their audience. And um, he'd seen the footage. And, uh, and he said, you know, I, I, I'm intrigued. And so, you know, I was called to a meeting. I met them. We talked about the real issues. And he said, you know what? Australian public need to know what really is going on. And this is, and Ray, said, this is Ray Martin to be yes, exact. Okay. Yeah. And I said, and you know, very gutsy move on Ray's part. Yeah. Um, to, to, to take that chance and to have that leap of faith and not only myself, but there was a couple of other uh, presenters that he brought in that were unknown. And, um, and my brief was, um, was youth um, and all matters pertaining to, we talked about um, child su uh, teenage suicide. We talked about, which in the, in the, uh, the mid eighties was unheard of. People didn't believe that teenagers were, were committing suicide um, uh, in high school age, you know, like in other words, in the early teens to mid to late teens, and um, yeah, because it's so fucking easy to be a teenager, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, gratefully, I'm, I'm, I'm just out of that phase now. Um, although I still get acne, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's good. You're making me feel better because you're so good yeah. looking, you know. Yeah, it's well, unfortunately, what happens is is that when you're shaving, that's when you discover you've got a new pimple, you know. And because um, <laughs> I shave with a, I straight, I, I shave with a straight razor. Still. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, you know, with with a, a handheld blade thing, you know, and so if, if it's back here, you don't actually just shears it off to the bone and you go, oh, the fuck, you know, like, and there's piss and blood everywhere and, you know what I mean, it's like, anyway, sorry, we digress. It's all right. You 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 uh you mentioned your friend Sluggo, and uh, I know you've probably answered this question a hundred times, but I want to hear it from the man himself. Speaking of nicknames, how did you uh, become Angry Anderson? How did you get the nickname Angry? Um, the original nickname was the Angry Ant. Uh, because there's a very unfortunate joke about an ant and an elephant, but that's another story altogether. Uh, if you don't know the joke, I'll tell you later. But, um, but uh, yeah, there was a, a friend of mine. I was still living in Melbourne. Um, it was in my, when I was uh, singing with Buster Brown. Right. And um, there was a, uh, he, a, a dealer in exotic substances, a, a very a legendary guy around Melbourne called Mangy Mick Maluzak. 
um, uh, and he uh, passed himself off as a Russian gypsy. Um, um, anyway, uh, Maluzak, I'm not too sure. <laughs> He's got it all. Yeah. Um, there's the bus. Probably the, the, se- the second worst cover in the history of, Austra- of Australian <laughs> rock and roll. Well, the, um, the, the, the back photo, Angry, is fantastic. Yeah, that's classic, isn't it? Oh, um, my God. Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, Phil's jeans are spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the thing about Rudd is because um, his surname is Rudd Savages, right? So he's um, of a, a European ethnic persuasion. Mm. We, we, when we were younger, we used to call them wogs. But um, so the fashion in those was fashion in those days was like sixteen, eighteen. Or twenty-inch flared bottoms. Wow, that's so big. When, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But so when 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 he went to the tailor, he, the tailor said, "Well, you want twenties?" And he went, "No, I want twenty-twos." <laughs> because he, he he wanted to be Rudd's always been like that. See, he wants to be cooler than cool, you know. Uh. Like so. Yeah, well, yeah. He, 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 cha- you know, he, he changed the world of drumming. I mean. Guys, yeah, guys, a clock. He's so, a clock. So, yeah, I think I think that's he, he, that's the thing about him. He's it, the beauty of of his playing is is its simplicity. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I, I yeah, yeah, and he's a clock. Yeah, he keeps great time. Amazing. A lot of I, a lot of people, especially in America, may not even realize that prior to Rose Tattoo, you sang for this band Buster Brown, and Phil Rudd was the drummer. Uh, we all kind of became familiar with Phil Rudd through ACDC in America. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so you do have that history with him. Uh, but back to your nickname, Angry. So how did, how did yeah. you get that? So anyway, um, there was a, we used to drink at this pub uh, called the Station Hotel, which was opposite a train station in a, in a inner Melbourne um, um, su- uh, suburb called Parade. And, um, so because it was an inner suburb, um, there was a lot of small, um, what we what we call um, well, colonial, it's from the colonial, post-colonial days, but um, the terrace housing. So there was lines built on the, on the English model. There was lines and lines of houses exactly the same mm-hmm. and they're joint, right? So it's a low income, um, uh, established uh, place. So there, there was this pub frequented by, um, it was a Muso's pub, mm-hmm. um, particularly at weekends, but even during the week, you know, you could go down there at lunchtime on a Tuesday and there'd always been all these, you know, this near-do-well Muso's hanging around in the bar, right? So Perfect. actually it was the first time I actually saw ACDC play was wow. at the Station yeah. Hotel. But anyway, Mangy Mick was... Um, like I said, a dealer in exotic substances. And uh, there, there was a some sort of situation where he was owed money and he told some money collectors that he knew and they went and collected the money and it was physical violence. Anyway, um, uh, some weeks later, these people um, turned up at the pub and there was altercation in the street, you know, there was about 30 people involved. And uh, anyway, um, 
we all go back into the pub after they'd left and, um, yeah, we're all bloodied and battered. And, and uh, Mangy made the comment, uh, he said, hey, what about, in those days, my nickname was Mouse. And um, I said, "What?" Mick just sort of just came out with this classic line. He said, what about the angry ant, you know? And there I'm standing there with, you know, the fucking fat lip and blood, dry blood on my nose and, you know, like, and he said, because um, it, it equates to, uh, you know, anyway, there was a big fat bloke and he was drunk as a lord. So I jumped on his back and he's hit the ground and knocked himself out and everyone thought I was responsible for knocking him out. So the the, the ant and the elephant. Ah. Mm. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, what about the angry ant? And, uh, you know, I got a round of applause and, uh, you know, since then it was the angry ant. And, hey, angry ant, you know, and then after a couple of weeks, which is the Australian way, they abbreviate everything. Yeah. Like, like my nickname at school was Ando because my surname's Anderson. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, so after a while, it just dropped back to angry. And I think the basis of it was that um, I remember saying to Mange, because he, he and I used to share uh, uh, flats or apartments or houses back in the day uh, with the other band members, etc. Um, you know, I had a bunch of near-do-wells, you know what I mean? And um, um, I said to him, I said, you know, like, that, that I, you know, everyone's starting to call me angry. It's so fucking cool. And he goes, well, he said, and he, he just, because he was a big, solid man. And um, um, all my all my best friends are big, solid men, by the way. <laughs> um, it's by a, default. A survival, yeah. It's a survival device. Sure. Um, I get it. I need some yeah. bigger friends myself. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, all my best mates are all fucking big, big, big cunts. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, he said, mate, he said, uh, he said, you're like an angry little rat. He said, you're... <laughs> disproportionately angry for your size, you know, but it, and I, that was the result of, you know, let's not get, you know, too deep and morbid about it, but that was a, that was a, a product, it's actually in the book of, um, yeah. of my upbringing. Yeah. My father was little, he was a jockey, my biological father. Okay. And um, one of the first things he, he taught me uh, when I was a kid was how, how to, how to fight, how to, how to box. He was a, a golden gloves, what they call a golden gloves boxer. Mm. But yeah, I mean, uh, and he was a violent man, you know, he was violent to everybody, physically violent, but he was emotionally violent and physically violent to um, my mother and I. And yeah, he was, um, so it was funny how the things, and I, when I do public speaking now, particularly with young people, well, not particularly, but I think particularly with young people. And I emphasise, I tell my story because it's, you know, it's what I'm qualified to do. But um, I emphasise how life is such a poetic experience. It's such a profoundly poetic experience in so much as my spiritual beliefs are, and I, I I discovered these or I was taught these, learn these and I it's the way I live my life um it, it nothing happens randomly everything happens for a purpose and how was I to know when I was you know in my you know I was eight nine ten and 
12 and 13 and I was being physically and emotionally brutalised by my biological father, that that later in life that would serve me. So what it illustrates in a, in a spiritual sense is that there's nothing that's wasted, no experience. Even, even something that's the most horrible thing to imagine, like losing a child, um, I've yet not come to terms with that, um, but I shall, I will at some stage. Um, but I have to believe that, um, you know, even if it just makes us, you know, his, his sister and his two brothers and myself as a family unit, if it just makes us stronger or uh, I don't know, wiser, I don't know what, it, I don't know. Cause like I said, I haven't, I haven't yet fully processed that, but in, in my experience in my life, which is, which like I tell my children, uh, you know, th this has always worked in my life. I said, you know, um, you know, if I hadn't have been uh, a victim of a pedophile, um, it, it would not have led to other, you know, it was a, you know, an, an awful moment in my life. But the, the same person who did that, who um, was, the, was exactly was the same person who introduced me to music. So, Right. There's the yin and yang of life. There's proof yeah. in itself, you know. Um, well, I feel like it comes out in your lyrics and people need to realize that your music is part of your soul and part of a way for you to heal and, and learn from yourself as you're writing these lyrics. And, and, you know, it's kind of electrifying to, I mean, all the lessons we got to learn, all the bridges we got to burn, that is huge. And bigger now, talking to you. And of course, if people were to know the lyrics to your songs, well, you know, fuck it. If they didn't even know the lyrics to your songs and what you stand for, and then they read the book, they would get the fucking message either way. Uh, so, you know, it's important uh, for you to be taking care of yourself in the way that you know how from your experiences. I think, too, that, you know, that you know, listening to Angry tell his story, I, I, I think it takes a special quality in a person to be able to seek out and find the positive aspect or the strength in a situation that would uh, that that would squash a lot of other people. It takes a lot of guts and a lot of uh, uh, vision to be able to find and the find the good in something that on the surface is would, would be very negative to a lot of people. So I, uh, I, I think that's a very special quality that you have. You've obviously had a lot of uh, experiences in your life that you've grown from and you've learned from and finding the positive in those things is, uh, is, is pretty remarkable. So Thank good you. on you. Yeah. Good on you, man. Uh, a story, Dave, I, um, it sort of makes it, it brings it back sharply into focus, of course, <clears throat> because yesterday was Father's Day. Um, and, you know, obviously my children and I were all together. My, my well, my now youngest son uh, still lives with me, but um, as did Liam until he was killed. And um, um, one, one of the things, I'll tell you a story, and, I, and I, I do tell the story when I do public speaking, is that, when Colin was teaching me to box, um, 
and I illustrate the story or, or the meaning uh, that I'm about to allude to was that you know he he would um, he started me off at a very young age you know around about eight or nine years old and uh, we would be in the backyard and we'd be you know sparring and uh, you know like I'd, I'd you know because he was a, a a boxer per se um you know as a jockey he trained to keep his weight down but he needed that upper body strength um uh, anyway, he um, and I remember him vividly. Uh, it's a story I tell because I remember it vividly. But he he would knock me down and um, he would stand over me and um, it, like a lot of hard uh, belligerent people, um, he was harsh in his even in his better moments, so to speak. So here here he was trying to teach me how to fight because he was so belligerent about being a small guy um, in uh, as he always used to say you're always got to be small you're a small man in a big man's world you've got to learn to you know hold your own right so he used the two things that his father who was a worse male worse father mm. um, fear and, and and aggression or fear and and and, and anger and, and I remember laying there on the ground on, and I can hear his voice like it was yesterday. And he would say, get up. And he would stand over me and he, he wouldn't offer to help. He would, he'd say, get up. And he would say things like to me too, you know, you're an Anderson. You get up and you hold your head up and get up. And he would be belligerent. And, it, it, and I knew once I got back onto my feet and held my hands up again, he would... You know, because every time I went to throw a punch, like a, a box of wood, he knew where to duck, but he knew how to counter punch. So, and that's the art of learning how to box, right? Is you, you learn how to read that physicality part. So there I'd, he would knock me down again, and again I would hear him say, get up. Now, he was in a belligerent, and I believe ignorant um, way, trying to teach me how to fare physically, in a in a in a you know a violent world you know because violence is often visited on the weak mm -hmm. and being small um is a vulnerability but later on in life well i don't think colin had the capacity and maybe i'm selling him short but i don't think he had the capacity to realize that what he was teaching me in that roundabout way was one of the most valuable lessons that a father can teach a son and that, or a daughter. And that is that life will continually knock you down just to see if you can get up. I mean, it's not just, but the purpose of being knocked down is to, to rise again, you, you to, to survive the experience, to have the experience, to do benefit from the experience, which is what I believe we're all put here to do. Hmm. You need, you have to be knocked down so that you can learn to get up. Right. Yeah. Right. I love your perspective. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's a, that's a, it, it's not easy. Um, a lot of people, no, would, a lot of people would uh, stay down and feel sorry for themselves and think they couldn't get back up. And uh, it, it takes emotional and physical and spiritual strength to stand up and, and face it again. So I love that perspective that you have. Um, 
I want to jump ahead uh, to um, when is the first time that you were aware that this band called Guns N' Roses was covering Nice Boys? And what was your initial impression? And, you know, because in America, you weren't very well known. Rose Tattoo wasn't. I remember I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and we had a DJ on the radio named Joe Anthony who used to play Rose Tattoo. And I remember when you were touring with Aerosmith, they were on the uh, Rock in a Hard Place tour, and you were coming through San Antonio, and I wanted so badly to go to that show because I loved Aerosmith, and I loved what I heard about uh, Rose Tattoo because of this local DJ. I was too young. My parents wouldn't let me go to the, to the concert, so I never did get to see you. Uh, but really, a lot of America wasn't really aware of you until Guns N' Roses uh, came about. Mm. So mm. when were you first aware of Guns N' Roses playing Nice Boys? And uh, what was your impression of that? Um, I'm not sure, but I have an inkling. I was in, I was living in Los Angeles. Um, I lived there for the best part of a year writing uh, with a, a local, uh, an English bloke who'd settled in California, in Los Angeles, a guy called Michael Slamer, and he was from a, an English pop band. Anyway, classic romantic story. He met a local, they got married, he stayed there. Um, and this was 1989. And wow. um, the, the then record company, um, I'd done, this is going back to the, the two worst rock and roll album covers. The first one um, uh, was was a an album that we did called Southern Stars, which was our last Alberts album. I think Jason. Then there was a year or so off, and um, I got signed to Mushroom. Mushroom, yeah. Oh my God. He's, He's got it. Just, I don't think it's the worst. Handle. I don't think it's the oh, worst. Yeah. Show me the worst one then. Uh, um, maybe anyway, I, don't, lost, I don't have the, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, actually, the worst, the worst I've seen, and I've got it somewhere on my phone, um, there, was a, there was a thing done on FaceFast about, you know, the, the 20 worst covers of all time. And there's this, this is, I think they're a Mormon family or, or they're, they're but, but mum and dad and about four kids and they're all dressed exactly the same, really badly. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, they, they're singing gospel songs um, or songs of praise, sorry, uh, not gospel songs, songs of praise. That's the worst cover I've ever seen. But, um, yeah, so um, – was I talking about that? Yeah, the first album, um, I went to um, uh, Mushroom Records and produced the first uh, album, Beats from a Single Drum, and um, which was um, confusing for the fans because it was my first solo album, but it was produced, uh, it was released as a Rose Tattoo album mm. for a marketing. This is, I mean, right. We all know how dishonest yes. uh, record companies can be. Yeah. Um, uh, to it be was a clear, to be clear, it was not Rose Tattoo, and it was obviously no, it certainly not wasn't. Rose Tattoo, yeah. right? Absolutely. I mean, right. um, I remember when we were talking about the first single, and, and they, we had a listening party, and, and one of the DJs said, "I love that song, Calling," 
and and of course the the mushroom people were there and they said yes i love it that's radio friendly and we'll play that and i watch it this is before it was released and this is just when there was that it was done a, a desk mix and uh, the album had yet had yet to come out mm-hmm. and uh he said what's this what's the song about and i said well i i watched this jacques Cousteau, um a documentary about the, about whales, the language of whales, which is singing. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, they cop their, their heads in interest, you know, the way dogs do. Yeah. And um, what do you mean? I said, well, it's a, what do you mean what do I mean? I said, it's a song about, and then I went on to explain uh, how whale pods sing to one another around, and because uh, water is the great resonator, um, they can they can be hundreds and hundreds of kilometres apart. But they can sing, and they sing. They use they use tones and notes that carry through. So it, it travels, right? They don't even have to know one another. Yeah, they're, com- they're communicating. I wonder why those fuckers didn't understand that you wrote a song about communication. Well, bingo, <laughs> bingo. <laughs> so you took acid too. Um, Actually, um, no, but I, no, my, really? oh. all, my, all my friends did. So, yeah. Wonderful experience I awaits you. Conduit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so um, basically Mushroom just didn't get it. They just thought, uh, like, wait, an angry Anderson singing about whales. And these, and were, songs that, these were songs that you wrote with the English gentleman? No, no. Oh, sorry. Now, skip oh. ahead. Okay. So we, after that fiasco of releasing that album, I just, I walked away. I said, fuck you. Mm. you. You got no idea what's going on musically. You know, all you know about is like formularized, you know, um, stuff. Because uh, anyway, so there was a couple of years off and then uh, they wanted me to uh, join this program where they were sending people to Los Angeles to work with uh, American writers and producers. And I think there was about four, there was two or three other bands and a, and a, 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 an art, a solo artist on, on the Mushroom label. We were all in Los Angeles at the same time, which is 1989. And um, so Michael Slaver and I wrote um, that album. Um, okay. Uh, Blood from Stone. Right. And um, I remember when, when we first got there, we took a house. Well, my manager took a house in uh, in, the, in the Hollywood Hills. So um, um, if you stood on our balcony and looked across to the left, you saw Griffith Observatory and the, okay. the sign was up behind us up there. Yeah. Franklin was down there, you know, okay. sunset. Yeah. Whatever. So yeah. we were up in the hills, in the canyons. That's right, the canyons. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, um, as it turns out, uh, one of the guys that was had a room in this house was um, Axel's brother. Oh. And um, uh, he was like a PA roadie. Um, he studied law, he told me. But anyway, long story short, he said, um, my brother's band, they've, fucking huge band, fans of, of your band, your old band, Rose Tattoo. They actually play some of your songs. And I went, oh, okay. And um, I said, well, if next time they're doing a show, we'll go, you know, and that's what happened. A couple of weeks later, they did a show. 
they did a show, um, and the the opening band was was a fantastic band called Burning Tree, mm. and they were a trio. Yeah, and um, it destroyed me that they never never got to be by big band. But I don't know even what happened to them. But um, I got two of their albums, and um, yeah, great band. And then the next band on was. Um, uh, Faith No More. Oh, uh, wow. Wow. I think it was Faith No More. Do you remember the venue? Oh, it was a hall somewhere. Um, okay. And, what, and it was in 89? Yeah, what was it? What was uh, uh, Faith No More's first song? It was kind of like a part sort of rappy. Yeah, yeah. yeah their, their, their first, their first the, big breakthrough single was called Epic. Yeah, that's, that's, it. It. Yeah. that's yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, they, they were ne they were next on. Yeah, and, and they blew me away. I couldn't. I thought, "Fuck me, how yeah. good musically." Yeah. I mean, I thought the front man was as as mad as a cut snake, which was <laughs> good. You know, that's good because he was so fucking. Oh yeah. The way he moved and Mike, all that kind Mike of Mike shit. Mike Patton. Mike Patton is a motherfucker of a front man. Yeah. Oh he can, yeah. He I can was, sing. He I, can sing any fucking thing. He can see. He it. just and he did yeah. in their set, and I remember seeing them do an article or an, an interview later where they have you know because it, it just a visual thing. You think that they've sort of catered to each genre of music, but what they did quite cleverly in the in the in the article was they drew they they just drew this collection of of different musical genres into a band and, and, and melded it and made it work. Anyway, I was fucking yeah. blown away. I thought they nice. were fucking amazing. Um, you know, so we went outside to have a joint and then we came back in and then the act on, the, the, the last act on was Guns N' Roses. Wow. And and then, and then later on, of course, um, it, it was so funny because um, um, Did they play Nice Boys and pull you on stage or what? No, no, no. What they, 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 this is a this, this is a bit of the bit of the story, I suppose. Um, okay. I can't even actually remember in all truth if they actually played it, but they assured me that they would have. Yeah, and I would I would have been absolutely fucking thrilled about the fact that you know an American band was because I I thought they were amazing. I thought they they oh, really yeah. had the look down. They had the you know they had the swagger. Um, oh yeah, and and they they got they got all the components of being a rogue rock and roll band. If they went to the um, trouble to oh, learn Rose Tattoo's material and put it in their set and release it on and re and record it and release it, they had swagger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, 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 you, as you can imagine, uh, over the years, once we became, you know, they came out here and they wanted us to do, we reformed. Yeah, I was going to bring um, that up. Weren't, wasn't the band like, in ashes, you guys were scattered and yeah, not yeah, even. No, we, we, yeah, we self-imploded yet again. Um, and that was in ninety-one or so, ninety. When was that? Yeah, it was a very early nineties. Okay. Yeah, uh, Guns and Roses was on the Use Your Illusion tour, so that was right. that was ninety-two. So you're somewhere around the early nineties. Real quick, I want to yeah. go back. I want to go back. I I think that that um, it later came out called Guns and Roses Lies. But yes. it was on the band's early label, Uzi Suicide. Yes. They released that yeah. uh, live like, a, like suicide, a suicide, and yeah. that had uh, 
whole lot of Rosie. It had Nice Boys. It had uh, an Aerosmith cover. Mama uh, Ken. Mama Ken. That's right. Thank you, yeah. Dave. And and then it had a few Guns songs. Yeah. And I I wore yeah. that fucking thing out, and I was so happy because that <laughs> band was mine. I was like, ah, oh, they're talking my language. Oh my god. And that would have been in '87. So the the it was sooner than '87 because Appetite came out. Appetite for Destruction. That's why I asked Angry. So you're right. The first first thing Guns N' Roses ever released was Live Like a Suicide, and that predates Appetite for Destruction, which came out in '87. And it had a fucking rose tattoo song on it. Live Like a Suicide had (laughs) a rose tattoo song on it. And then when Appetite for Destruction blew up, they repackaged Live Like a Suicide and added some acoustic songs, and they put out this album or an EP called lies 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 right and because they were the biggest band in the on the planet at that time the whole world heard uh yes you know uh, rose tattoo yes a, a lot of people for the very first time because guns and roses was huge and that would have been 88 89 yes, about sir. when yeah. Andrew's talking about yeah. so that's why i asked yeah. him when was he first aware was he aware at the time of live like a suicide or was it more after the appetite for destruction phenomenon and then the lies 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 well it was in 89 okay so wow. that would have been because uh, yeah and, and, and there was a lot of record company people there oh, and, yeah. and some of them some of them knew who i was um sure and and but they were there for that for that show because you know like when i say it was a pretty prestigious lineup it, it was what and was a new concept to me, but it was a showcase. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So both both Faith No More and and uh, the Gunners, and I think even Burning Tree might have been just recently signed, or they'd be signed, and so it was just pre the whole thing exploding because um, there they were in this in this uh, you know like a hall in the suburbs, uh, it, you know, like downtown. Um, but it wasn't like a club, um, okay. um, and, and yeah. So and, and and they were, you know, there must have been like uh, if a thousand people, there would only be like a thousand people, maybe even less, maybe eight hundred. But wow, that sounds like um, a private a private party or something. Yeah, but, maybe but it was too. Yeah, because yeah. there was a lot of there was a lot of record company people there. Yeah. yeah. But you know, and I, that was sort of. They were sort of um, just coming out, apart from because there was a kind of little bit of a hint of the, the sort of the teased hair and, yeah, you know. But they weren't wearing. They were starting to wear like, well, they were wearing things like leather and like chaps, and I think I think um, it might have been Duff. Or, I remember Duff says. With the Reformation, um, uh, it was so funny. He, he um, paid us the great compliment uh, in Duff style. And um, uh, this is going back a few years and they were out here. We, we were doing the opening slot and they said, look, come back and, and see us, um, uh, you know, before the show. We just want to, after sound check in the afternoon, we, we want to hang out a bit and, and talk shit and, Anyway, um, uh, we were there, and, and there was a couple of people there, and um, and so I'm sorry, you guys go way back, you know. Someone said that one, this is a, one of the the American entourage, 
and 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 Duff said, if I can quote him almost verbatim, he said, "Way back, we stole all their shit." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good on Duff for admitting it. Yeah. Fucking yeah. absolutely. But see, it's we've always enjoyed that relationship. Like anyway, getting back to that showcase night. Yeah. I heard the story later um, from Axel's brother. He said, man, he said they were fucking bummed, but freaked out. Like, anyway, someone must have said to them, like, it's like a, a lot of record company people. But anyway, getting getting back to the, we'd gone out in between Faith No More and Guns and we'd had a joint. And, you know, like most people, I get the munchies, like, fucking fierce. And um, so we, we watched the set and it was fantastic. It was really, really good. And I've said immediately after they finished, I said, fuck, let's go. I've got to have a beer and a pizza. So we left straight away. And there was about four or five of us. And But his brother stayed. Yeah. Because, yeah, he wanted to go and say, say hello to his brother. And so he must have gone backstage and said, um, I, I was here with um, blah, 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 and Angry Anderson from Rose Tattoo. And they've gone, fuck, what the, was he out there? And they said, yeah. He, he, you know, his brother said, yeah. He said he was here, but he's gone. He, they went to get pizza. <laughs> and then years later, they told me the story. They said, we were, we were fucking chuffed that you were there. And they, were, and they were sort of freaked out because, like, what did I think of, them play on our shit, you know. Yeah, right, right. I I have a, a little bit of a, a trajectory here. I give Guns and Roses all of the credit for you know recording Nice Boys, um, or in in the mid '80s to be safe, and uh, yeah. and it's sort of introducing a lot of people who didn't have Kerrang magazine in their history book in 1980 <laughs> in reading about Rose Tattoo, so. Uh, I got a record deal in 88 and I was in Los Angeles recording in the Valley at Sound City. And so every night we after we'd go out and see bands play, of course, because yeah. it's five yeah. guys from Texas who've never fucking been anywhere and never had any money. We're going to soak it all up and get crazy. Yeah. Right. Dude, every fucking band covered a Rose Tattoo song. And some, you know, it'd be a, we'd see three bands, four bands in a row. Every one of them would play Rock and Roll Outlaw. All of them. <laughs> and I was like, don't, do these guys call, don't these guys call each other and say, oh, fuck, we wore the same shirt. You know, they, they need to, they need to call each other and go, are you guys playing it tonight? Yeah, you guys can't play it. It's already on our set list, you know. But everywhere, I'd go to a whole nother club the same night. Someone would play Rock and Roll Outlaw. And I was like, fuck. Well, that's, that's tragic, isn't it? Yeah, uh, well, but it's all, you know what, man? It's also fucking awesome. It's also oh, beautiful, it's, too. It's beautiful. It's the coolest, the coolest uh, thing. In Junkyard, it, have you heard of a band called Junkyard? No. No, okay. Yeah. Okay, they cover your shit, too. They yeah. do... Uh, Bad Boy for Love. They do One of the Boys. I know they've wow. done Rock and Roll Outlaw. Oh yeah, and and uh, I went to high school with the singer, and they, you know, him and his buddies moved out to Hollywood and got a record deal, and around the same time that my shit happened, and we're all fans of your shit. So to, for me, like I said, getting out there and just everybody's all about Rose Tattoo. And and how does it feel? I'll throw a question in here. How does it feel to hear these stories 
And to to know or just not know, I mean, there was a band called Princess Pang that played a rose tattoo song. Oh, yeah. You remember Princess Pang? Do you remember yeah. that? Female-fronted yeah. hard rock band? They were great. And they did, I, I think they did Rock and Roll Outlaw as well. But uh, the point is, is how, how do you feel is like, you know, basically a decade plus after you like pin the songs, these guys are paying homage to you in america and loving you and you were underground you were it was kind of punk rock to be into rose tattoo as a matter of fact me and dave know a lot of like our friends who were in punk rock bands who have your logo tattooed on their bodies forever yeah and they're gonna flip the fuck me and dave are the coolest kids in town right now right now <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. How does it feel? How does it feel to hear all this shit about stuff you wrote when you were just kind of like, I don't know if anyone's gonna like this shit or not, but here it goes. And you make some records with with Vanda and Young, and I wanted to ask you how that was because, holy shit, how does it feel to know that American well, kids are covering your songs? Uh, s several answers to several questions. Yes, how does yes, it make me feel? Makes me feel seventy five. Um, <laughs> It's, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, but it, I mean, it's one of the greatest um compliments. I mean, um, of course, uh, it is. there's a saying about um, uh, mimicry or whatever is, is the greatest compliment. Um, I think it might have been even, um, I was just thinking, um, that's not the correct wording, but imitation um, is the greatest form of flattery. That's it. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. Um, I think it's like this. It's like with with the the Gunners uh, playing because it, it's the same thing. The Gunners yeah. were playing early Rose Tattoo. See, they were they were looking for influences that spoke to them. That were this is the way I read it. Um, that 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 meant something to them. So that I think you instinctively know that when you start getting into music and you're forming the idea of creating something of your own um all uh, with the rose tats even with buster brown but even since we, after i just left tech school at 17 and wanted to get into a band um um <clears throat> you, you we played well in the first two or three bands i was in we only played covers hmm. which is somebody else's songs yeah and that, were, and, but that's normal that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. so I see that as a natural progression when, um, uh, and even though it's very complimentary, and of course I think it's always been complimentary, is that where like I listened to a lot of music as a kid and I chose certain songs, you know, I chose 20 Flight Rock, I, I chose um, uh, Good Golly Miss Molly, I chose, you know, like certain songs. Um, um, oh, you know, that's uh, Matchbox. Um, um, yeah, just stuff, the uh, blues classics mainly that were turned into rockability, that were turned into country, that were turned into blues again, that were turned into, um, you know, when I say blues, I mean, uh, you know, the, the early Rolling Stones, uh, Eric yeah. Byrne, Fleetwood Mac, you know, the early Fleetwood Mac, sure. one of the greatest blues bands ever. And... Um, yeah, so when, when you're looking for an influence and, and, and whether you – it's a subliminal thing, but we're, we're, we're driven by forces that we don't actually understand, um, whether we ever do or not, it's irrelevant. Um, 
but we're driven by forces that guide us through our lives um, that know better, in other words. Like, yeah, yeah you, you may want to do that, but I'm going to push you this way. That's the, the creational process because that's where you need to go. And uh, the wisdom of that is so profound, you know. It's like you just might have something mapped out. I mean, I was ready to retire, you know, three years ago. I was like, fucking had enough. And I'd, I thought, you know, I'm going to buy a farm and, well, 20 acres and I'm going to grow veggies and, you know, go shooting and fishing and just basically, you know, be a hermit. And because, um, you know, everything that was going on, this is pre-plague, pre-New World Order, pre-reset, all that. I, I was sick of all the shit even before that, you know, so you can imagine how angry I am now. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I just, I, I, it humbled, I mean, it's such a cliche thing to say, but you can't but feel humbled by the fact um, that you've written something, as you said, back in those days. And really, you know, George and Harry did say, and they, they weren't about changing us at too much. They just wanted us to be successful. And they said, you know, right, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta get rid of some of the violence out of out of the out of the the way that you are in front of an audience and, you, and the violence in your music. And um, uh, you know, you just gotta sort of basically, you know, ease people into it. But when we wrote that stuff, and went like when you said it quite rightfully. So you've got an insight a lot of people don't, most people don't have. Um, it, it was in tune with what we were creating, which was, you know, um, we were, uh, uh, like, musically in Australia at that time, we were outlaws. We were yeah. Ned Kelly. We were, we were uh, you know, Jesse James. We were, we were like, like it, we just didn't give a fuck. And, yeah. and, and if yeah. people didn't like songs like Assault and Battery because they thought it was promoting violence, well, fuck, that's what's real. I that's what it's live. like in the real I, world. I live for that fucking song. Yeah. Well, so see, that's a true good. story. Uh, really? It's like Butcher. It's a true story. Yeah, Butcher, Butcher and Fassetti. Oh, my God. This is These were yeah. things that I really would – with getting you to tell the stories of some of the lyrics, what about Manzel Madness? What is well, that? Maybe all we about? should do. Maybe we should do another part later, and I'll explain. The That's songs. that would be that. I would love that <laughs> so much. Where you go, you know, pick five songs and tell the stories of the songs. Well, you pick them. Yeah, thank you. That would be a treasure. Man, Manzel Madness. Um, is a um, down in Springfield Avenue, which is that's the. It's like a. That's back off the cross, right? King's this cross. red light area that okay, I yeah. yeah, King's Cross. Um, so frequented by near do wells and criminals and prostitutes and drug dealers and it was this tiny little club. Bands used to play there. We played there a few times, and and it was called the Manzil Room, M A N Z I L Room, mm -hmm. and. Um, and what does it say? You've spent too many nights something yep. up the bar. Hold, holding up the bar. Holding up the bar. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, In Texas, I think they call that belly up. Yeah. <laughs> hey, put well, your belly up. Yeah. I hmm. wanted to talk about the song Texas, but we can go there another time. So you, yeah, because that, that was inspired by um, ZZ Top, obviously. 
Yeah, mm. makes sense. When I say obviously, I mean, um, I remember saying to Dusty, God rest your soul, Dusty. Yeah, what an amazing um, human being. Oh, uh, yeah, lovely, man. I mean, they all are. They're just fucking amazing. I, I love that band. They're probably, you know, if not my favourite band. I mean, my, my two favourite guitar players, um, uh, my absolute two favourite guitar players is Leslie West and uh, and Billy Gibbons. Um, wow. I, mean, I don't think there's two finer blues players Strong. in in the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think Mountain are just just fucking he as a guitar player he's a he's a a mind-boggling you know skull crushing just fucking oh yeah he goes uh, places you know where angels feel to tread i mean um um because you know um, leslie west you know was he was a real rogue he was a real outlaw he was just um just ah, oh, it was like watching something that was um not particularly physically real, um, and and I get the same inspiration from from watching and, and listening to Bill. Um, yeah, anyway, I remember saying to, to Dusty, I said, because um, we toured with them in a, in Europe. This is where we first oh, met cool. them. What year um, was that? What year? Eighty one, eighty two. Okay, all right. Um, they'd been, they'd had a, uh, they'd had some time off. I think while. Uh, Frank dealt with his substance abuses. Um, they did the, the album they came back with was the one where they're on the sand dune. They've got bags of dope. Um, hmm. Oh, uh, um, Rio, Rio Grande Mud or? Uh, no. No, no. Later. Um, it would be early 80s. No, not Eliminator. No, pre that. Pre, pre that. Right before Eliminator. Yeah. It was right before I, I, Eliminator. I don't know that. Oh, um, um, I can see the cover now. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Got, it's got the song Party on the Patio on it. It's, Is that a Tube Snake yeah. Boogie Party on the yeah. Patio? Yeah. I forget yeah, the title of the I album. I don't know the title of the record, but those are great fucking songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it El something like El Dovo or El Loco? No. But anyway, because yeah, I remember years later, when we, we were on tour, Texans. yeah, and I, and I said to them, I said, um, well, you know, the, the album cover, and because, yeah, you know how quirky Top are, they're fucking, you know, it's quirky as all fuck, and it was, the, the, the bags they've got on the cover, it's, it's supposed to be marijuana, and there's a cop, you know, there's a cop in the, uh, chasing them or hold, holding them up or whatever. I'm just sort of trying to visualize the cover. But um, actually, one of us should be Googling this, I suppose. I to that's, be. What, that's what Jason's doing right now. <laughs> I'm looking it up. We, hey, um, we're, we're Texans. We should guilty. know this. I mean, we should yeah, know I feel, this. I feel bad. We're in the middle of a fucking interview talking how is about it, rock how and How is roll. it that we know more about Rose Tattoo than we know about ZZ Top? That's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I got some great – I got some – we might save it for next time, but I got some, I got. A couple of fucking absolute classic uh, top stories. Tell um, us one. Tell us one right now. Um, okay. We, we, we got a really fucked up one night on, on Australian beer. I found some in a supermarket. Well, the road crew found some. And uh, so we introduced them to Australian beer, which is you know, marginally, uh, well, was in those days, stronger in yeah. the alcohol content. I, I got it right. It was El Loco. El Loco. I got okay. it right. It was and, El Loco. So anyway, we, we got them fucked up on beer and um, 
anyway, we were we were down. I think we were actually in Texas um, or New Mexico or somewhere. We was down there, but I'm pretty sure it was Texas. And they had this biker bar uh, that they like that they they love to frequent, uh, which is another story because um, I never knew they carried guns until that day. But um, because um, when you go in, you have to check your guns, right? right. So. Um, Anyway, but there was another, uh, and I remember they took us to this, um, we had a couple of days off, and they said, we're, we're taking you guys out now. So so we went to this place, and we uh, drove out of town, and, you know, there was a, a line of pickups and like 30 or 40 Harley Davidsons and this big fucking barn, and it had a big neon sign, and it said, the beer, yeah, beer, beef, Something of yeah, beer, beef, bourbon, and boobs, mm. and um, and we go in there, and uh, you know there was all these, you know, what, what became Hooters, like all these scantily, you know, yeah. with little denim skirts and shorts and cowboy boots and fucking tits out here, and and it was fantastic. It was full, and 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 uh, the menu had two things on it: it was steak and and sausages. And that was it, and that's so they brought them out in tray, like trays, you know, to your table. So um, I remember um, uh, sitting next to um, uh, Dusty and he, and he said, um, I've ordered you a depth charge. And I went, oh, yeah, cool. What's that? And he goes, hang on. So they say, they bring out, this woman comes out, two jugs of beer, puts them on the table. And then these, uh, you know, steins, so like a beer stein. Mm -hmm. And and, a tr and this other girl comes out with this tray of, of um, those big fuck-off shot glasses, right? So got a, a, a single or a double nip, I suspect, obviously, double. And and she so she pours all the bourbons, and then the other girls pour in the beers, and they put the beer down in front of each of them. And then they pick up the bourbon, and they drop it into the beer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A depth charge. Yeah. So... So Dusty says to me, so come on, Texas style. So, because we've, like I said, a week or so before, we'd just them up on Australia and be, ah, no, back at home, we drink this like fucking water, you know, so, ah, we're into the fucking beer. And so they were too, and they got really fucked up. It was so funny. So anyway, here we are at the beers and bourbon and boobs and beef and, uh, after, after about four or five at least, and, and, and I still drink bourbon and beer together. I've straight bourbon with a beer chaser. Mm. And, you know, because when you drink a beer, it's got it, – it's infusing coming out of the shot glass is the bourbon. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's a fucking magical process. <laughs> but you are going to get fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I've been – I've had about three or four, maybe five of these. Oh, shit. Fucking, you know. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have a piss. Where do I? And, and um, he said, oh, you know, it's down there. And there's, you know, big sign gents, you know. There's a big hole. There was a, a band playing down the other end, etc. Later on, actually, we were, we were so drunk, we had a, a jam. But um, all of us did, them included. Um but, you know, they were well known in this place. So people knew who they were yeah. and they were being very respectful, just walking past and, you know, paying their respects and stuff. So I got up to go. I got up to, went to stand up and, you know, they had bench seats, right? So I had to throw my leg over and I went to stand up and it was like, fuck, whoa, this is, 
I was like, the place is spinning around, and I thought, fucking. And I remember, uh, I think I think it might have been Dusty, but he grabbed me by the arm. He said, steady on, son. So to, like, it's just get your bearings. But I was fucked. I didn't realise while I was sitting at the table. I didn't realise that, um, you know, this bourbon and beer, I've never done that before, you know. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's what, uh, I don't know whether I discovered bourbon there, but I certainly, I put it down to bourbon, you know, because I used to drink vodka. But then, but then, yeah, I used to drink tequila too in Australia. But um, I can't remember drinking bourbon um, until we went on tour with them. Wow. Yeah. Easy top, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, we had some great, we had some great, great stories. I said, I remember um, first time they ever heard us. Like Dusty would always say, you know, you got to, um, he loved the song, Who's Got the Cash? Mm. Um, um, yeah, God rest his soul. But, um, yeah, I remember the first time they heard us play which was scarred for life tour so it was a couple of years later yeah yeah and he goes man texas he said what's that about he said, it's about you guys <laughs> and he said really i said yeah really i said i said because they wrote a song called bad boy which dusty used to sing yeah well, you probably know that right um uh, not that i imagine that it was written about us but um uh, yeah, we wrote, um, you know, I was trying to remember the lyric, but it was it was things that it's like, you know, like in their film clips, um, you know, chicks, you know, long-legged girls with, you know, big titties going down to Texas. Got a, yeah, going down to Texas. Women, yeah, that's and, right. With the big-breasted women grow or something. Yeah, like you that. know, so yeah. that's all that's that's all about the top and their clips and. Yeah. Uh, Wow. That's awesome. See that that's amazing. You, all the way from Australia, Texas meets Australia and because of rock and roll, that's, that's really cool. And you've got, yeah. these, you've got these stories in this brotherhood because of it. That, that's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, and you're right about the brotherhood because I mean, I, I am, I feel so affectionate towards those guys, even, you know, like the Aerosmith, it was a, um, uh, Perry wasn't there the tour we did, but um, mm. yeah, I remember Stephen said to me one night, um, he said, Over here, I'm, I'm considered to be a bad boy. He uh, said, Yeah, so he said that because I was, I was, I was sort of going, it was going back to the you know, throwing the money in the cans, and even at one stage, those threw chairs on stage. Um, Fuck. And, and it was Stephen. He, he sort of said, oh, man, he said, they're just not used to it. You know, they just, it's, it's something really different for them. And he said, but fuck them. You know, like this is, it's real. It's it's just keep doing it. And, yeah, you know, like it, it's not like we were ready to give up, but we were certainly like, wow, fuck, what are we doing wrong? You know? Yeah, and I, I feel I feel like not to become a, a music journalist uh, real quick to review the show, but you know Aerosmith is well, even at that time, even though they are true bad boys, were I mean God, Stephen was probably still really fucked up at that time, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he was oh, fucked well, up. Yeah. 
So, so what I was going to say is compared to the Tats, I mean, Aerosmith is kind of this, they had songs on the radio, really kind of slick compared to Rose Tattoo. So here's this they almost, oh, oh my God. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, here's this almost punk rock band looking yeah. like you guys fucking did, <laughs> yeah. you know, and Aerosmith is kind of, you know, kind of cool and boas yeah. and you yeah, know, kind of a little, a little glammy and you guys are coming out like double fisted with a sledgehammer and people don't know how to take that i don't care what part of the world you're in they didn't know how to take that especially in 81 i mean sure yeah. if you go to see the sex pistols you know what you're going to get out of it if you went to yeah. see the fucking stooges you know what you're going to get out of it but they're going yeah. to see aerosmith and here's these guys rose tattoo and it's like fucking aliens come out and with shotguns you know yeah yeah and, it looks like a jailbreak <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i gotta tell you and, and, and again going giving credit where credit's due i mean okay we'd already worked with the top in europe um so it was the very early 80s 80 81 80 i think it was and uh, so we formed a a, a a friendship and a relationship there yeah so they knew what they were getting when they because yeah, they said, well, we they knew we were in in uh, United States of America, and, and so they said, like, we're going to do a tour. We we want the Tats to come and open up for us. So they knew what they were getting. So to their credit, yeah. yeah. Now I know that this this is a true story. Stephen told me he said, like, we know going out. They they review suggestions for an opening act, and and we were we were labelled in those days special guests. Right. And sometimes there was a band on before us. So there was a band on and then we were in the middle slot and there would be Aerosmith would be on. So they chose us. They saw, uh, they, they heard the music, they saw the clips mm -hmm. and they said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we want. So to their credit, you know, yeah. so yeah, they're largely responsible. If we enjoy any sort of, as I said before, so we realize it's a cult following, but if sure. we enjoy any sort of, um, you know, notoriety, if you like, or, or following, um, it's, it's in a large part due to those blokes, those bands. Yeah. Saying, yeah, you know, we want, we want to work, we want, the tats to do our shows in 87 so. i saw guns and roses play a small venue in san antonio holds about five or six hundred people um and it was they were you know appetite for destruction was was on the rise but it hadn't quite this is in 87 you know it hadn't mm. quite broke yet you know mm. um my friend i'm down there with a friend of mine from austin where me and dave live we live in austin texas and uh, I'm there with friends, and my friend Gilbert has his Scarred for Life t-shirt, Tour 81, that he got at the Aerosmith Rose Tattoo Show. And he saw you guys in 81, so this would have been five or six years later. And he's wearing the shirt, and Gunn's bus is parked there, and Slash walks off and walks right up to my friend. And we're like, holy shit, it's Slash, you know, and he walks up to my buddy Gilbert, and he goes, how much do you want for the shirt? <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, long story short, and I've been my, giving him free shirts for years. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Nowadays, but but now, back yeah. then. But he yeah. didn't. Uh, this is, you know, this is just before I think you guys had become friendly, you and Slash and and the guns. Yes, yeah. But yeah. but uh, Gilbert did not sell Slash his scarred for life T-shirt. My man, my That's man. Right. That's right. He's gonna flip out when he hears that. This is <laughs> out. He's gonna be what? So. <laughs> Angry. I wanted. I wanted to know. You, you, we were talking about your look, uh, especially in '82 when you're opening for Aerosmith, and a lot of American audiences are kind of a little taken by surprise by what they see. <laughs> what, yeah, really. <laughs> what, what, what do you remember? What, what What do you remember about getting your first tattoo? And then, what did you think when it kind of became the norm? And it's like uh, it's almost mandatory that everybody has sleeve tattoos now in rock and roll. But you guys, I remember seeing neck the album and, cover. Neck and, uh, neck and face. Yeah, yeah, neck yeah. And face. Right. If you right. don't have your backs of your hands, your neck, and your face, right? You fucking, you know, like you, you just. Pedestrian, you're ordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember seeing your album covers uh, in the late '70s and early '80s, and thinking to myself, "Oh my God, these guys are scary looking, man. This is, I mean, you guys really look like a gang of prisoners." <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, and then yeah. it kind of became the norm and still is. So I wanted to ask you, what do you remember about getting your first tattoo? And what did you think when tattoos sort of became commonplace? Uh, uh, I got my first tattoo, 17, just lost my teenage queen. Then I took a stand for an outlaw's life. I was 17 or uh, around about that age, so it was illegal. And there was a tattooist in the next suburb down from ours um, that tattooed underage kids and was known to do so. Had a studio at the back of his house. Um, <clears throat> I was having trouble with my then girlfriend. Uh, she was much in demand. And there was a lot of really cool guys after her, et cetera. And, and, so I thought I'd um, I thought I'd get her name tattooed on me, mm -hmm. and um, and I did, and um, yeah, well, I was uh, maybe I was a bit older, maybe I was eighteen. Anyway, uh, she she left me um, uh, regardless of the tattoo, and I mean it was a great honour for me to put her name on my my arm, but it was that was my first, and then on the other. And there was a, a rose, a rose and an anchor. Yeah. And on the other, on the other shoulder was um, a black rose and a tombstone uh, in memory of the drummer who, who um, in my first real band, and he, he died at a very early age, like like his early twenties, as I said. Um, so yeah, that were that were my first two. Um, I remember talking to Tony Cohen, who's, um, by the way, I'm not finished yet. I'm not done yet with, uh, with ink, but, um, a year or so ago, I was talking to Tony who tattoos me and, um, um, the, 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 the fad aspect, because once upon a time, uh, only outlaws, whether, whether they be bikers or, or uh, people in the, in the army usually, or the air force or Navy, Navy, obviously. Yeah. Um, got tattooed and um 
he's a um, he's a real he's a very old school as you can imagine you know ex-biker uh, about my age tattoo he's been tattooing all his life and um, he said yeah he said it's 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 made us all rich um, the the fat aspect he said but it doesn't sit well with me he said because he said that's why I let because he's he's at a a very prestigious shop in and around Sydney for long as I can remember. And he's one of the godfathers of tattooing in this country. Mm. Legendary guy. And, um, yeah, he said, um, I, I let the, when they come in for the, the one color cover all, you know, he said, I, I let the kids, the kids are with, this is about half a dozen, um, young tattooists uh, that work in his shop. And he said, I let the kids uh, do all that shit. He said, but I'll, uh, he does a traditional body stuff like he does body suits and, um, you know, but he won't tattoo. Um, he's done a couple of backs of hands, uh, which are mainly the traditional flash, um, like, like roses or skulls or whatever. Um, he won't do necks. He won't do faces. Um We'll wrap this up, but I want to I wanna read you some lyrics that I've written, okay? Okay. It won't take very long. This is called She Dances Evil. Jezebel, by Broken Teeth. Yeah, by my band Broken Teeth. says, Jezebel can't walk so well after a night on the town. Must be the poison stinging in her ears. She'll be the death of me and bring me down. Jezebel, she was 17, made me feel cool just like James Dean. Well, she was hot on the spot. Her heart beats faster when I'm really mean. Chorus, she dances evil. She blows like dynamite and she's all mine. She dances evil. She got rhythm and she's right on time. Here's the best part. Number three made a mess of me. Must be the voices singing in her ears. If it was you, what would angry do? He'd say, I'm never gonna suffer a straight man's fears. <laughs> <laughs> in honor thank you of... <laughs> thank you so much I mean, I'm, just gonna, I was, I'm just gonna tell I was, you this I, was... I love you sir I love you thank you so much that's one of my thank favorite you. broken teeth songs by the way yeah <laughs> what would angry do yeah and you know well, what angry when uh, before before the plague derailed your tour Jason's band broken teeth was going to open for you on a couple of dates here in Texas uh, excellent. So I, I um, hope look, I hope we can re, uh, reschedule that and make that happen again. We we shall now. Um, yeah, we're working on I it. Hear, I want to hear that song played live. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you, mate. That that's just um, yeah. That's a that's a. I mean, that's a great compliment. A great yeah, great compliment. I yeah. um. You're not mad because I stole your lyrics. <laughs> Certainly not. No, no, no. I mean, um, you know, maybe six or seven words of it. <laughs> I, I, I actually, um, uh, that um, before uh, that saying that I was scrambling to remember. Right. Um, uh, I think it might have been Oscar, Oscar Wilde or, or someone like mm. him. But um, what we, what was the wording again? This is it, serious form. It's, uh, it, the saying is imitation is the greatest form of flattery or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I, I, I have an inkling it's Oscar Wilde, but um, 
um, actually, uh, one of his, one of my favourite sayings of his, I think, is, is very relevant to today. Is that fashion is such a disgusting concept that they have to change it every six months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and brothers, we will leave it there. Look, I, 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 no pressure whatsoever, but I've enjoyed today immensely. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you um, for, for, for for everything that's been said and 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 your patience and. In dealing with you know someone who's um, a verbalist by profession, um, uh, the honor if, is if, ours. If you, if you oh thank you, uh, I mean, thank you so much. Um, if you would like to again, like at some stage, do it under uh, like a follow up, and, and we talk about the songs and those sort of things. But um, yeah, I, I kind of like um, I like it's it's a terrific. I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's wonderful. When you establish something with someone that you don't know previously, and all of a sudden you feel very comfortable in their in their company, and and you want to talk, you want to yeah. talk shit, yeah. so to speak, but good yeah. shit. Yeah. You want to talk about music. You want to talk about yeah influence and tell stories and those Res kind of things. And it's re it's respectful to do such. I feel like it's an old pastime that has been around thousands of years around the campfire. It's tribal. Yeah, but Jason, you, you 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 put it very succinctly earlier on. We we are dinosaurs. We are part of, and we realise that, and it's okay, yeah. because as as um, uh, George Harrison so beautifully put, all things must pass, and uh, that's that's a that's a that's a, a wonderful old. Uh, it's not just a philosophic stance, but it's a it's a spiritual. It comes from a spiritual law. The the, the root of that saying, but. Um, Everything has a time for every time. There's a season, you know. It's that, it's that wonderful air, area of understanding that, um, and, and and I understand fully um, that um, the music will live on. Yeah. But you know, like you've had your day, you've had your 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 moment in the sun, whatever poetically you want to uh, dress it, but. The thing about it is that you know, and I think it's a wonderful part of life. And and you do. Um, it sounds like an old codger sort of a fucking thing to say, but that's fine. It, you can you can only discover these things uh, with a certain amount of road behind you. Yeah. And yeah. And, um, and and you know, it's kind of like um, you know that that old the great old wisdom. You know, youth is wasted on. On the young, yeah, um, mm -hmm. uh, that goes back a long, long, long way. I think that might even had its roots in in Greek, in Greek uh, early philosophy. Yeah, but um, uh, of course, it's not wasted at all. But um, yeah, it's um, would I be young again? Um, certain aspects, you know, um, rock hard erections. Um, <laughs> um, uh, that devil may care sort of yeah <laughs> you know what i mean but oh yeah <laughs> anyway boys i'll leave it with you i gotta go sorry but um no angry yeah. one, i wanted to say real quick one of the reasons we do this podcast is because we love speaking to our heroes and if we're lucky 
we walk away feeling like we got to know the person a little more than we did before we started. And that, sir, is exactly what happened today. So thank you for your time and spending it with us and, uh, and being such a great guest. Uh, we, we always have respected you for the music. And now I, I, you know, I feel like we have a kinship and we really got to learn a lot about you. And we appreciate that. So thank you. We, we certainly do have that kinship after today. Yeah. That's what I meant before about feeling comfortable in one another's company. It's like, um, we're not acquaintances anymore. We're mates. We're soul brothers. Wow. In, okay. in, the, in, the, in the true sense of the word, you know, and, and I wouldn't mind if, um, Catherine, uh, obviously you're in touch with, or someone yes, that yes. works for you is in touch with Catherine, um, because it would be really, really nice if I could get um, some of that recorded product of, um, of yours, Jason, to uh, I, I would love nothing listen. more to send you whatever format you want. I can send uh, digital links for you to just click on and listen in your headgear there, or I can send... CDs or vinyl or whatever you would like, sir. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like uh, I'd like the CD because I'm, okay. I'm stuck in the past. Um, yeah, I mean it'll take a fucking month to get to you, but that's. <laughs> I okay. don't care. Yeah, I don't care either. It's you're all worth it, my man. Oh, thank I you. I agree. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great. What an honor for us. Uh, you, you made thank our you. days, and and uh, and we can't thank you enough. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our very special guest today, Angry Anderson, on the Talk Louder podcast. Till next time. Thank yeah, you, sir. I like that. Appreciate it. Till we meet again. Till we meet again. Thank you.